All right, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Thanks for listening. Big week and weeks ahead actually for the NFL, which we'll dive into first here on this episode, but we'll also get to discuss game one of the NBA Finals, Lakers versus the Miami Heat. Hopefully the Heat can get healthy and stay healthy for this series going forward, but but we'll discuss the series in game one here in this episode today. The MLB playoffs fully underway. Many of the wild card matchups actually are already wrapping up today. Um, I believe a couple might be tomorrow as well. Actually, it might just be the Cubs and the Marlins. They had their game postponed. We'll get into all of the matchups, all the teams moving on to round two, who made it into this year's extended playoffs, some great matchups, even some surprising results, which we'll go over here as well. Then, of course, we'll finish up with my final and final, final thoughts of this episode as well, relating to America's first major sports champion during this global pandemic. Amazing that we got that far. But let's start with the negative sides of this pandemic's effect on sports. Is there a positive side? (laughs) I guess a, a discussion for another time. But I wanted to wait on this episode until we had the results for Tennessee and Pittsburgh and even Minnesota and it seems like we have all those details or the details that we need right now so we can discuss the outcomes and the potential future implications of what this means for the NFL. Um, So let's go ahead and get started then with that. So of course now we know nine positive COVID tests. It might be actually up to 10 now for the Tennessee Titans, which has postponed their week four matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tennessee halted practice this entire week. They closed their facilities. I believe they're not even going to come in the rest of this week. It's basically now a bye week for the Tennessee Titans here in week four. Also for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were supposed to be their matchup on Sunday. They were going to try and play this game on either Monday or Tuesday. They thought about having a doubleheader on Monday night, but then the positive tests kept rolling in the day each day for the Tennessee Titans after their Sunday game against the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings... Who, who I just mentioned played Tennessee on last Sunday, also halted their practice until Thursday. They haven't had any positive test results, any positive tests reported after starting tests both after the game and then they continued testing on Tuesday. So they actually they started practice just the other, just yesterday. Um, so far, so good. I believe they're actually having their players wear masks while practicing on their practice field. So, so far, so good. While Tennessee is having, it looks like a small outbreak, I believe they now are up to five players on the COVID reserve list, and I believe four personnel, coaches, or staff have tested positive for the coronavirus at this point. The Minnesota Vikings still plan to play this Sunday, Minnesota versus the Houston Texans. Titans Steelers, they thought maybe they could push it to Monday or Tuesday, wouldn't have to skip a week. But now it looks like both these teams will have their bye week in week four. It's not unheard of to have a bye week in week four. It's not like, oh my goodness, what is this going to do for the rest of the season? Now the NFL is just going to have to do some scheduling, rescheduling of of both Tennessee and of Pittsburgh. It looks like I believe Pittsburgh's bye week was supposed to be week eight. So instead now they're going to move Pittsburgh and Baltimore, who's bye week was also week eight they're going to move that game to week eight and Tennessee and Pittsburgh might play week seven now it's what it's starting to look like but the main the main goal right now of course is that players stop testing positive for the Tennessee Titans and this is the problem with this with this virus is these guys could test negative on Tuesday which some of them have and then test positive on Thursday or a couple of days or 
more days after that, they could they could test negative and then test positive. And so that's what the worry is with the NFL right now is that these guys, everybody's test negative multiple days in a row. Nobody gets it a week later or something like that, or nobody gets it when they play their week five matchup. That's what the that's what the concern is for the NFL right now, and that's what they're hoping they can try to contain. So this is a big test for them, whether or not they have to uh, postpone another game for the for the Tennessee Titans, whether it's week five. I mean, right now it's it's looking a little it's not looking as bleak as it could. I mean, the Minnesota Vikings could have players test positive more. I mean, they could have half the team test positive for Tennessee, where they can't even field a team for week five. Because now I believe these players have to be out. They tested positive. That I believe they have to be out a minimum of 14 days and then have two negative tests before they can come back. So you don't want to see more guys continue to test positive. But this is what we knew going into the season, that this was a possibility. We were good for, through the first two weeks. Here we are in week three now with our first team that, that has to uh, has to kind of endure this. And we'll see how the NFL goes about handling both the scheduling and this team Tennessee right now I mean they've 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 gone fully remote in terms of practicing and and for their bye week so we'll see how this affects them if hopefully they can play week five cross your fingers for that cross your fingers that no other teams my my question is is how do they I mean they've the NFL has now upgraded and updated their COVID protocols especially for teams that test positive like this I think they're doing double testing for the Minnesota Vikings, for example, both the nasal swab and the spit sample. So, and then, and then when a team like this tests positive, they're having the players wear masks at all times, even on the field. So they've started to step it up, but I want to know how a coach, I believe that's how they believe a coach is one that got into the stadium and was the one that first tested positive. I don't know the name. They haven't released the name, but I just want to know how something like that happened where they have all these protocols and still someone was able to get into the stadium on game day with with possibly the coronavirus and that just goes to show you that they can have all these protocols and it can still uh sneak in on them and and have an effect like it has right here so hopefully the we uh the nfl finds a way to combat that and and limit that happening again for for other teams but we'll have to see but as of right now tennessee titans pittsburgh steelers week four matchup has been postponed possibly till week seven or eight, I believe. Good news is it's not canceled. And then, of course, we'll wait for the Tennessee Titans in their week five matchup. We'll have to see. This is this was what we were worried about. So far, not as bleak as it could be, of course. So that's that's the positive side of this. Hopefully that we, uh, we work through this in the Tennessee Titans. I believe they just had a new player test positive on Thursday. Hopefully Friday is a clear they're clear through the weekend and then maybe they can uh get back into the practice facilities next week wednesday or something like that and get ready for their week five matchup we'll have to see hopefully but that's uh that's what we had happen here in week three hoping for the best but so far not as bleak as it could have been but why don't we uh why don't we talk about the games now instead of of this uh coronavirus hitting one of our nfl one of our 32 teams Let's talk some uh, results and analysis from week three. As it was, there were some great matchups that we had from week three. I mean, the first one, Monday Night Football, not necessarily the shootout and the the duel, the quarterback duel that we were hoping for. I mean, P- Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they show who the real MVP is here on Monday Night Football, seemingly blowing out the Ravens in this game. 
Patrick Mahomes, five total touchdowns. Chiefs looked like they easily could win 14 games, as I predicted before the season started. A little bit of a humble brag there, but I told you, this team is returning 20 of 22 starters. They added a more dynamic running back as well in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Patrick Mahomes getting better and better. I mean, it's only his third full season starting. He's already got a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl MVP. Andy Reid now playing with house money. He's got that Super Bowl monkey off of his back now. I mean, the Chiefs here in Week 3, they beat the Ravens 34-20. Everybody, look at all, if you go back and look at all the national media analysts and everybody making picks on this game, they were taking the Ravens. I'm pretty sure the Ravens were, or I'm sorry, the the Chiefs were somehow underdogs in this game, and I think it was in Kansas City as well. <sighs> Incredible. The Chiefs look... Uh, look almost unstoppable right now it's crazy and the Ravens are, are have one of the better defenses in the NFL then of course they have the offense that's supposed to be able to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs and I don't think I don't think Lamar Jackson throws over 100 yards I think he rushes for only 60 or 70 yards as well so the Chiefs really bottled him up one of their touchdowns that helped them get to 20 points was off of a kick return 97 yard kick return for a touchdown so really, the, the Ravens' offense only scored 14, 14 points, and one of those might have been in garbage time. I mean, so this was a this seems like a huge blowout in terms if you take away a one kick return for a touchdown. It's thirty four thirteen. They win by twenty points. I mean, they still won by by two touchdowns, but wow, the Chiefs just look really good, and that's not good for the rest of the NFL or unless you're a Chiefs fan, of course. Then congratulations, your team <laughs> looks historically good right now. Then we had another duel on Sunday Night Football. Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, both without their top offensive weapons. Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, both out. Both teams, doesn't matter though. Still able to score 30-plus points. All the Drew Brees worries, if you remember, from Week 2 when they lost to the Las Vegas Raiders, kind of gone now. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, he looks a little old. He looks like he can't throw the ball downfield. Why would you want to throw the ball downfield when you can dump it off to Alvin Kamara? And he can break seven tackles on his way to a 52-yard touchdown. I mean, if you haven't seen that play, there's there's two things about it. One, it's impressive, Camaro with the balance and the, and the just the ability to get all the way down to the end zone with that. But the Packers, poor tackling. I mean, Jair Alexander at one point just tried to shoulder him out of bounds. You gotta. I just hate when defensive players do that. Where I I, I swear it should have been taught since Pop Warner when they played that. For tackling it's wrapping up but these days everybody wants the big hit you know they don't care about the wrap-up tackle the, the harder the hit stick the cooler it looks on the highlights of course but the most effective way of course is just to wrap up the guy and take him down but broke like six tackles on his way to a 52 yard touchdown back to my original point why would it doesn't matter if drew Brees can't throw it 30 yards downfield when he can dump it off and do that i mean i don't think those concerns are there we saw how efficient he was as well against this Packers defense without Michael Thomas. And I think he'll get better once Michael Thomas comes back, hoping he's coming back this week for week four, their week four matchup, and it looks like he might be able to. But on the other side, Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams, able to lean on Alan Lazard and his tight ends a little bit. Alan Lazard, wow, almost 150 yards receiving, just two deep balls a 50 like a 50 plus yarder and then the 72 yarder to start off the the second half but now of course he might be out he would not he not might be out he will be out 
the next coming weeks with a core muscle surgery injury. That came out of nowhere a little bit, but man, does that suck for the Packers as they were just getting Devontae Adams back hopefully this week. You pair Adams with Lazard off of his performance. MVS is the guy that can take pressure off of both of them with his deep speed. And then you saw the tight ends kind of, all of them kind of break out. Robert Tanya, Jay Sternberger, Mercedes Lewis start to get into the action. And then, of course, you still got Aaron Jones in this offense that everybody was worried about because they didn't draft a receiver. Like, okay, can we put that to bed now? I mean, of course, now people are going to be, wow. I mean, look at these injuries and Devin Funches opting out. How could you not draft a receiver for depth? It's like, right. So the, the GM, Brian Gutenkins, was supposed to predict that Devontae Adams would be out for a week, a bit, about a game and a half. Alan Lazard would miss about five, six weeks, and then Devin Funches was out, opt out. He was supposed to uh, be prepared for that. But anyways, Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams this past week against the Saints, he just looks so relaxed. He looks like he's having so much fun which, I mean, it didn't look like that at the end of the, the years with with Mike McCarthy. I mean, he is in, he's in rhythm. This offense is just clicking right now. Rodgers is getting the ball out on time, right where he wants it, just controlling the game at his will, having defenders go here with his eyes. I mean, you saw the no-look pass that he did. He was just, just showing off at that point. Watch out for this Packers team. They're starting to get a few guys back from injury, including on the defense. Of course, like I just said, they mentioned I mentioned they to lose Alan Lazard for a couple of weeks, but man, watch out! The Packers win this one on Sunday Night Football, thirty-seven to thirty. I mean, the Saints are are one and two right now. They're not a one and two team. They'll 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 bounce back. They'll still be a team in the playoff hunt and, and probably most likely Super Bowl contention. I would think. All right, what else we got? Oh, Seattle stays in front of what seem is starting to seem like a turnover-prone Cowboys team. I mean, the Cowboys may have one of the most explosive offenses, but they can't stop anyone on defense. It's it's getting bad on that defensive side. I mean, they had a lot of that. The secondary is their main concern. They have a decent front seven and just a, defense, a, a decent front four with Demarcus Lawrence and now Alden Smith coming out of nowhere, really, coming back after, like, what was it, five years now that he missed? But, I mean, man, they can't stop anyone in, in the back end of that secondary. And now their offense is turning the ball over as well. I believe Dak Prescott had another interception, and I think they had another fumble. I mean, and when you're playing Russell Wilson, who's going to throw five touchdowns every game, I mean, he now has the most touchdowns to start a season in NFL history through three games, 14. The, the previous record was, I think it was Patrick Mahomes in 2018, and then Peyton Manning, with the Broncos when he had 55 touchdowns that one season. Was that 2013? I mean, Russell Wilson's off to a better start than those two seasons for these guys. So, I mean, wow. I mean, Seattle wins this game 38-31. Could have won it by more. DK Metcalf got a little cocky with a touchdown or a would-be touchdown. But, I mean, this Cowboys team doesn't matter if they can put up 30 points a game if they're going to give up 40 points a game. So, I mean, we'll see. But, man, that NFC East... (laughs) It's got to be the worst division in football with, I think, the Cowboys at 1-2, and two, Washington at 1-2, and two. then you've got the Giants at 0-3, oh, and, oh, and then you've got the Eagles at 0-2-1, oh, playing for a tie, not playing for the win this past week, but whatever, we'll get to that in a second. What else? Ooh, here was a good matchup. This was actually a, a fantastic game in a battle of two 2-0 and oh teams. Buffalo Bills at one point had a 28-3 lead over the Los Angeles Rams 
I mean, what? But before we get to this result, of course, as as, as I mentioned, the lead, twenty-eight to three lead. You know, I'm going to say that the that the Rams came back at some point. But what is it this year with huge leads being blown? I mean, cough at the <laughs> quotations around the Falcons here, who somehow did it again. This time to the Bears, making Nick Foles the savior once again for a different team. This time Chicago, but we'll get to that in a second. But anyways, a lot of blown leads this year so far. I mean, offenses really been able to come back just a lot of scoring i think this is the highest scoring nfl season through the first three weeks in nfl history up to this point and we can discuss that maybe another time and maybe after week four but anyways bills had a 28 to 3 lead over the los angeles rams they blow that they're actually down at one point josh allen able to overcome that throw his fourth td of the day to beat goff mcveigh and the rams remember I, i said this on the last episode leading into this one which team would prove itself as the for real 2-0 team and which one would be able to move on to 3-0 both of these teams look for real to me the Rams their running game is still good even without Todd Gurley I thought that would take a hit I thought their offensive line would take a hit this season as well and wouldn't be able to protect Goff that doesn't seem to be a problem at all I mean the Buffalo Bills win this one 35-32 I think the I think the Rams actually took a 32 to 28 lead at one point. And then of course, so I mean they they scored what is it? 29 unanswered there. So that was impressive in itself and against one of the if not the best defense in the NFL, able to score 29 unanswered. This offense is going to be fine. Their defense still has Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey among other guys as as well. I mean the Rams are are looking like the Super Bowl team back what was that? 2-3 years ago now. Not saying they're a Super Bowl favorite or anything, but they are looking like a team that if they get into the playoffs, which it looks like they might be able to, they look like they could be a really dangerous team in the playoffs this year. But the Bills were able to come back, starting off the season 3-0, and win this one 35-32. My game, my highlight that I cut from Sunday, I did Washington and Cleveland. Nick Chubb carries this team literally and in the offense over Washington. First time in who knows how long now that the Browns have gone back-to-back games with 30-plus points, and they're actually the Browns are over 500 for the first time through three games since 2011. It's been 10 years, almost 10 years since the Browns have been over 500 through just three games, just three games. So the Browns win this one 34-20. Washington, remember, had that great week one. Remember, I said I thought that maybe that week one win, that might be one of their, like, three this season, but who knows? We'll see couple of surprise results from this from this past week the Lions upset the Cardinals Matt Stafford and Matt Patricia able to get their first win of the season upsetting the Cardinals 26-23 Kyler Murray threw three interceptions in this game by far his worst performance of this young season so far so I mean the Lions able to pull off that win there the Lions are a team that think they should be two and one instead of one and two at this point you remember their week one loss to the Chicago Bears the Chicago Bears able to overcome what was it a 15 or a 14 point deficit in the fourth quarter then they had a drop touchdown by their rookie running back in the end zone they think they should be two and one at this point so they get their their first win here against the Cardinals Panthers get their first win of the season over the Chargers 21-16 Chargers having to start Justin Herbert for the second straight game looks like they'll have to start him against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in week four as well Matt Rule, first-year head coach in the NFL, gets his first win over the Chargers. So congratulations to Matt Rule and the Panthers there as they get their first win of the season. Like I mentioned earlier, Eagles 
and Bengals, they tie. Gosh, ties are just the worst thing, I think, in all of sports. It's just there's got to be a winner and a loser, in my opinion. Otherwise, I don't know why they even played the game. But they, they tie 23-23. I mean, what was it? I think Doug Peterson and the Eagles had an opportunity. They were about to kick a 54-yard field goal with, like, 20 seconds left. They had a false start, moves them back 59 yards. They have Jake Elliott as their kicker. I think his career long is somewhere close to 60. But they decide to punt instead. There's 20 seconds left in overtime. You you play for the win. I don't know why you don't try to kick this field goal. That was the most infuriating thing ever. And here we are now with the Eagles questioning Carson Wentz, not questioning Doug Peterson. I mean, questioning the call, yes, but not, not his head coaching ability i mean he's got a super bowl he's he's clearly a great head coach but i mean now they're questioning carson wentz he tried to lead this team he got them to overtime tried to get them in field goal position their special teams blew it there with the false start but then i don't know why you don't at least attempt the 59 yard field goal but ugh. so i mean we had a tie there our first tie of the 2020 season of course joe burrow still looking for his first win in his rookie season as an NFL quarterback, but he'll have to wait another week now as the Eagles and Bengals tie 23-23. And then I mentioned this one. So remember last week the Falcons blew a 15-point fourth-quarter lead to the Dallas Cowboys. This week they're like, ah, we can't do any worse than that. Well, they they won up to themselves here, blowing a 16-point fourth-quarter lead, and Nick Foles is the hero here as he comes in in the second half, late in the second half, sometime near the end of the third quarter throws three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and the bears overcome this 16 point deficit they win 30 to 26 nick Foles now named the starting quarterback for the chicago bears going forward benching mitchell trubisky nfl had its chance i mean the lions had their chance and the falcons had their chance to put the bears down to one and two they're three and oh and now they get their head on straight by starting nick Foles. so i mean a three and oh team this it's Everybody doesn't expect them or doesn't really treat them like a 3-0 team, but 3-0 is 3-0. I mean, you get your wins how you can take them in the NFL, and here we are with the Bears now starting Nick Foles as their quarterback. So there's some there's a recap of Week 3 for you. Of course, the big news with the coronavirus and the Tennessee Titans, but we had some great games nonetheless um, for the rest of the NFL in Week 3. So we'll see. Hopefully we can continue with these great matchups in Week 4. Here's some of the big ones that I've noticed. New England at Kansas City. So this year, I mean, it's no longer Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes passing of the torch there. Now it's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid versus Bill Belichick. And now his new toy on offense is Cam Newton. I mean, New England has looked really good. They have wins against the Dolphins and the Raiders, the Raiders at 2-1. and one, And they have a really close loss. I mean, you remember in week two, they lost on a one-yard rush attempt to try and tie it against the Seattle Seahawks, losing by seven. I mean... I mean, a loss is a loss, and I just mentioned before, a win's a win. But, I mean, there's there's differences between wins and losses, and when you lose a close one like that, you can still see how good of a team New England can be and is this season. So that could be, that might be our best matchup, our only really exciting matchup for Week 4. We were supposed to have two 3-0 and teams face off in Pittsburgh and Tennessee, but we already talked about that one. That one's not happening. Our Monday night football game, Falcons at Packers. Falcons 0-3. Could this be a trap game? For the Packers, the Packers have a week five bye. Hopefully they're not looking ahead to that. They have a couple of guys banged up. We'll see if the Packers decide to play them on this Monday night right before the bye week. Falcons are going to come in pissed off. You just know it. (laughs) I mean, two straight games of blowing 
15 plus fourth quarter leads. Packers can't take this lightly. Of course, this is an explosive offense. Julio Jones expected to be back. Kelvin Ridley, the number one wide receiver in the NFL right now. This is a, this is an explosive offense. Not necessarily. I mean, Aaron Rodgers should be able to pick apart this defense. But if Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley have anything to say about it, this should be a shootout on Monday Night Football. So we'll see about that one. Not a lot of exciting games on paper. If you just look, if you go through the schedule for Week Four of the NFL games, you're not like, wow, look at this great matchup like we had last week with the Saints and the Packers or the Ravens and the Chiefs. Nothing like that for Week Four on paper but i mean that's sure to change on sunday i'm sure we'll have some great games still so that's what we have to look forward to here for week four of the nfl season all right why don't we move on now to the nba finals we had game one last week or i'm I'm sorry just a couple of days ago on wednesday lakers the number one seed in the west the miami heat the number five seed in the east if you remember from last season which could seem like five years ago now at this point but both teams missed the playoffs last year now this season the nba bubble season they've both made it to the nba final so an incredible turnaround just one year apart for both of these teams lebron james his 10th nba finals appearance in his 17th season so 10 of his 17 seasons he's made it to the nba finals he's leading his third team to the nba finals as well of course miami heat and the cleveland clap the Cleveland, oh my goodness, Cleveland Cavaliers as well. So this is a little fun here for LeBron facing one of his former teams that he led to an NBA championship. Game one already in the books I just mentioned on la- on just uh, Wednesday the other day. Final score, Lakers 116, Miami Heat 98. At one point, the Lakers led by as much as 32. They were down, and they, they also at one point had a 75-31 to 31 run where they were down by 13 points at one point, and then, of course, they got all the way up to that 32-point lead. Just amazing. I think this was from the second quarter to the end of the third quarter. Those two quarters, they went on like a 75-30 to 30 run. Just absolutely dominated the Miami Heat at that point. LeBron James, 25 points, 13 rebounds, 9 assists, just short of his 11th NBA Finals triple-double, which is an all-time record. Anthony Davis... His NBA Finals debut, 34 points, 9 rebounds, not bad, if I may say. And then Jimmy Butler, um, 23 points for the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat, a couple of injuries that are really concerning. Bam Adebayo, their starting center or power forward. I'm not sure how they really set up their lineup. But he is looking like most improved player of the year he could have been this year. A defensive player, an all-pro defensive player candidate, no doubt about it. I mean, this guy is potentially the best player on the Miami Heat. He went down with a shoulder injury in Game 1. Looks like they said he was doubtful for Game 2 coming up today on Friday here. We'll see uh, what what he he said he's going to play in Game 2 no matter what. We'll see if the team lets him and if if he's healthy enough to play. We really want him to be able to play. You want to see these teams both at full strength, able to go at it. Also for the Miami Heat, they're starting point guard. Goran Dragic, he led them in scoring in their first round matchup against the Indiana Pacers. He went down with, I believe it was a an ankle injury or a foot injury of some kind, and it, it apparently had some of some some sort of tear in his foot. And this is a tear that apparently you're able to play on after a couple games. They brought up the the comparison to Joe Johnson had this for the Brooklyn Nets 
um, back maybe in what 2014 2013 or something he was able to play a couple of games after this happened but he struggled on it um, so we'll have to see if how this affects Goran Dragic going forward but both of these guys are both starters for this team so hopefully at least one or if both can come back healthy and and face the Los Angeles Lakers in the rest of the series but what does this mean for the rest of the series now after the after a game one Lakers win these two guys out what does it mean going forward for the Miami Heat boy this just looks like a tough matchup for Miami in terms of the Lakers size and this is one of the teams that I mean the the matchup that would be the toughest for the Lakers in terms of their size and we saw it how the Lakers were able to use their size against the Denver Nuggets the Denver Nuggets really only had one big and that was Nikola Jokic and he's not really a rim defender so that just leaves Anthony Davis able to go on offense at his own will do whatever he wants go to the basket step back mid-range jumpers he can hit that he can hit the three-pointer as well I mean when you have a guy like Anthony Davis who's a seven-footer but he's your power forward and then you decide to put in Dwight Howard as your starting center teams just don't 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 do that anymore in the NBA guys aren't going big everybody's going small everybody wants as many three-point shooters as that they can put out there but when you have a seven-footer like Anthony Davis who can knock down the three-pointer consistently not at not as consistently as as some of these other teams that are going small but when you have a seven-footer that can do that and everybody else is going small well then you just put Anthony Davis down low and he gets easy buckets and that's what they've been doing the Lakers have been doing in, in a lot of their series here in the Heat, like I mentioned, Bam Adebayo, their starting center. He's only, I think he's around 6'8", 6'9". He doesn't match up that well with Anthony Davis. He can't defend him as well on the block. He's a great defender, but Anthony Davis is just a better player. That's how special he is of a player. So without him, they don't have a shot. But even with him, it's just a tough matchup for the Miami Heat, and that's what the Lakers have been doing all season. I thought the toughest matchup for the Lakers in this finals would have been a team like the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks play big as well. They have Brooke Lopez at their center. He's an he's a seven foot guy and he also shoots threes. That's basically what he does. They call him Splash Mountain. But then they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, another seven footer. He plays power forward, so it would basically be Dwight Howard versus Brooke Lopez, Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo. First of all, that would be a fantastic matchup. But that's that's the kind of team that would give the Lakers struggles. The, the Milwaukee Bucks were the number one defensive team before this NBA bubble started, and the, and the Miami Heat took them out in five games. But, I mean, when you have guys like Brooke Lopez and Giannis and, and the length of the Bucks kind of disrupting not only Anthony Davis down low, but then LeBron James trying to get to the rim as well, that's what a successful defense, that's what a successful defense I think would look like against the Los Angeles Lakers. But these smaller teams like we've, like we've seen now, the Denver Nuggets. Um, who did the Lakers play in in round two? Oh, the Houston Rockets. They played in round two. I mean, they don't even have a center on the team. I don't believe, or I, they do, but they they didn't play him a single minute. But we've seen how these smaller teams don't really match up well against the Lakers, and the X factor there is Anthony Davis. And when you don't have the rim protection against Anthony Davis, you don't have the rim protection against LeBron James, and that's where LeBron James excels when he can get to the basket. And when he gets in the paint, he can find everybody open for three. And that's what I think is just the mismatch here for the Miami Heat and why it's going to be really tough for them going forward in this series. I mean, the Lakers, how can they improve on this game one win? I mean, we saw them actually in the fourth quarter, fourth quarter kind of take their foot off the gas. 
the Lakers can get cold from three-point range. If they're not knocking down their threes, then you're going to need Anthony Davis to score 20-plus points in the paint, and of course, and then maybe knock down a couple of threes, so he'll score close to 30 still, and then you need LeBron to also score over 30, probably over 35 by him getting to the rim if the Lakers start to go cold from three. So that's one way that the Miami Heat can, of course, get back into the series. Nobody's counting them out. Hopefully Bam Adebayo can come back for game two. Hopefully Goran Dragic can come back for maybe later in the series, game four, game five, if necessary, if we get to that. Honestly, though, after watching game one, game two we'll watch tonight on Friday here, but after watching game one, my prediction is that the Lakers actually win this series in five games. They looked that they looked really good in game one here. LeBron just in control. He's able I mean, this is kind of seems what they've been doing, letting Anthony Davis get off to the fast start. He scores like twenty points in the first half. LeBron scores like nine. Then LeBron takes over in the fourth quarter when they need him to, and they go up double digits here, and that's what they did in game one. Anthony Davis with the hot start. He can hit some big shots late in the game as well since he got he got started nicely in the first half. And LeBron James, of course, takes over then in the second half as well. But this Lakers team, it just looks like a mismatch with this height that they have. I mean, they started Dwight Howard in game one. They didn't even use him that often. They can they can move Anthony Davis to the center. He doesn't like playing there. But with the mismatch that he provides, they can put him there. They can bring in another shooter like a Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, Kyle Kuzma, and Alex Caruso. Rajon Rondo has been fantastic for them in the playoffs as well. The Lakers just look really good, and it just looks like a, an uneven mismatch here in this series. So my my thought is Lakers win this in five games. I would not be shocked, though. This is And this is depending on Bam Adebayo's health. If if Bam Adebayo is healthy, I think the Heat could. I wouldn't be shocked if they won two games and the Lakers won this in six games. But right now, it looks like the, the Lakers might win this one in five. But we'll have to see. Game two is this evening, so we'll have to watch that. And we'll talk about it next week. Actually, next week, by the time we get to uh, the podcast episode, we might be starting game four or, or at least past game three. So we'll have to see where we are in the series then by that time. But Lakers in five. Lakers in five games is going to be my prediction for this series. All right. Well, why don't we move on to the MLB postseason? That's underway now. Actually, we're, I think most teams are into the second round if they've swept or even after a couple of of game threes to move on to the second round from from this first round wild card series so I'll, I'll first mention the teams that made it into the the wild card and into this extended playoff format remember 16 teams this year last year it was five from each conference so 10 total so we went from 10 last year to 16 playoff teams so i'll go ahead and mention those we've got in the, we'll start in the American League. We had the number one seed Rays face off against the Blue Jays. We had the two seed Oakland A's face off against the Chicago White Sox. Three seed Minnesota Twins facing off against the Houston Astros. And then the four seed Cleveland Indians facing off against the New York Yankees. And then we've already got all of those series wrapped up. The, the Tampa Bay Rays swept the Blue Jays. They're moving on to the second round. The Oakland A's won in th- in best of three series in two games so they beat the chicago white Sox. they'll move on the houston astros sweep the minnesota twins man the twins have just been i mean i think they have the longest playoff losing streak of all time and that continues now this year i think it's been like 24 
is it, it was either 24 straight series or 24 straight games that they've lost or 24 years. I don't know what it is. I don't think they've actually won a playoff game in 24, 24 straight games. They have not won a playoff game. So it's just brutal for Twins fans and Twins players in that Twins organization. As the Astros sweep them, they move on, unfortunately. And, of course, now they're using it as a, as just fuel to the fire of, oh, yeah, what are people going to say now? It's like, it's like, hold on, you can't use that as, like, you, you cheated. It's like nobody's just making that up that you cheated and won a World Series. Like, it's been proved that you did. So now that you didn't this year and won, we shouldn't be like, whoa, maybe they were actually good enough and didn't need to cheat. It's like, no, you cheated. Like, don't try and get past that now since you've beat a team in the playoffs without cheating. That's what you're supposed to do in the first place. Don't You don't get extra points <laughs> for doing that this year. But anyways, the Astros move on over the Twins here. And then Indians and Yankees, the Yankees sweep the Cleveland Indians. They're moving on to the second round as well. So I believe our second round matchups will be the Tampa Bay Rays and the Houston Astros versus the o- and then the Oakland A's versus the New York Yankees. So we'll have to see how those second round matchups, I think those get started on Saturday, not Friday. I think those will get started on Saturday. So then in the National League here, the wild card series, we had the number one seed Dodgers versus the eight seed Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers got in with a losing record. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me how all the tiebreakers worked. But the Brewers got into the playoffs, so that was uh, really cool to see. I mean, they were there was injuries left and right for the team as they lost their best bullpen player in Devin Williams. Not Josh Hader, actually. Devin Williams, a rookie, was possibly the best reliever in baseball this year, but he was left off the roster because he had what was it, back tightness or back soreness, or maybe it was shoulder soreness, but either way. We had Dodgers versus Brewers. We had the two-seed Braves versus the seven-seed Cincinnati Reds. We had the three-seed Chicago Cubs versus the Miami Marlins six-seed, and then we have the Padres versus the Cardinals. So where we are here in the National League, National League got started a day later than the American League. So the Dodgers just got done sweeping the Brewers last night, Thursday night. So they'll move on to the second round. The Braves blanked the Cincinnati Reds in both games so they swept them they're moving on to the second round as well I think right now with the Cubs and the Marlins we've only had one game game two on Thursday night was postponed due to weather but the Marlins actually won game one so they're up 1-0 right now if they win game two today on Friday they'll uh, they'll move on past the Cubs and that would just absolutely blow my mind this is what I mentioned earlier by a team like the Marlins who I didn't even think nobody would think would make it in the playoffs in a regular year here they are the six seed up 1-0 in a best of three series with the Chicago Cubs one game away from moving on to the second round is just absolutely hilarious and then we have the Padres and the Cardinals the four and five seed game they are going to be going to game three today Friday I mean game two was just electric the, the Padres just started hitting home run after home run I mean Fernando Tatis Jr. hit two home runs Manny Machado hit a home run. Will Myers hit two home runs as well. That's going to be a fun game three. Remember the wild card series is best of three. Then I believe the second round is best of five, as is the championship series, both the ALCS and the NLCS. I believe those are best of five. And then the World Series will be normal best of seven. So that's why this wild card round went by so quick. Just exciting. Um, exciting matchup. I like this extended playoff format. I'm not sure if it'll be kept next year, but it's going to be hard to uh, to 
for these owners to want to give up this extra playoff revenue that a lot of these teams are getting by making it into this extended playoff format, especially for teams that continue to move on. That's more playoff games. That's more money for the owners. And of course, that's what they're all about. So we'll have to see if they, they scale back next year. But I don't know. I kind of like the I kind of like this wild card round best of three series. It was uh, I mean, it I mean, you'll get some great games and, and it goes by quick. It just goes by super quick like that. So we'll see. We'll talk about round two on next week's episode as well. Here's my you, I'll give you an early World Series pick, though, from seeing each team play at least one game so far in the World Series. The only team that hasn't played two are the Cubs and Marlins. But anyways, right now, give me the, the Oakland A's and give me the Atlanta Braves. That's a World Series I want. I mean, the Oakland A's just won their first playoff series. Boy, and who knows how many years. It's just, that's been just a weight lifted off of their shoulders as an organization. The players don't have to worry about it, even though they haven't been there for the countless years that they've been just brutally demoralized by not moving on in the playoffs, even when they've had just those fantastic teams, fantastic like teams pieced together with non-superstars but now they've got a couple of great players on that team Matt Olson Matt Chapman their second bit Marcus Simeon is he their shortstop he's was a thought I don't know how great of a season he had but as an AL MVP candidate on that team so I mean they finally have that monkey off their back of winning a playoff series now they'll have to face off against I believe the New York Yankees who have been a team that have knocked them out countless years but right now, I think that uh, with that momentum of winning a best-of-three series against the Chicago White Sox, they lost Game 1, able to come back, win Game 2, force a Game 3, and then, of course, win Game 3 to be able to move on. I think that should help some. That's why I like the Oakland A's. The, the, the Atlanta Braves, on the other hand, two MVP candidates on their team as well. Freddie Freeman, the first baseman. Ronald Acuna, the center fielder. Fantastic just that offense all around i mean they have marcelo zunia as well that's just been hitting home runs their pitching is a little bit of a concern but i mean i don't care they just made the they just gave the cincinnati reds they did the cincinnati reds didn't score a single run in those two games against the atlanta Braves. so i mean if their pitching is a concern i don't know that's not it's clearly not that big of a concern if they can hold the cincinnati reds which is a high-powered offense to zero runs in that entire series so Give me A's and give me Braves as my World Series pick right now. That's what I like. I was going to tell you if the Brewers beat the Dodgers, though, in the best of three, then forget it all. The Brewers are winning, but uh, they just got swept because Clayton Kershaw had one of his vintage performances. I think he went, what, like eight innings and 13 Ks last night. So there you go. There's that. No Brewers World Series. But instead, I'll take an A's and I'll take a Braves World Series. That's not bad for, (laughs) for me there. All right, so let's get to my final thought then today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. I mentioned it earlier on. We have our first American Sports League champion since the world has thrown into this global pandemic. Congratulations. Go out to the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning the Stanley Cup Finals. I mentioned this last week as well. Tampa Bay, remember, last year had that absolute monster season start to finish and then they got swept in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Just everybody thought it was an all-time choke by a team of that caliber and that the season they had. And then here they come back this season, or redemption season is complete, 
And no matter what anybody says, all of these championships, whether it's the NHL, the MLB, the NBA, the WNBA, the NFL, Major League Soccer, will all be the most difficult, will be among the most difficult championships won of all time, just due to the circumstances everyone is facing. Impressive in any manner to win a championship any year, just any year in general, but with everything going on, and I mean more than just a pandemic as well for a lot of these teams. With all of it going on and be, being able to grind out a championship will be among the most impressive feats of all time for these leagues, I think, in my opinion. I mean, the, the NBA, you're, you're in this bubble. You're able to just, I mean, now the, the two finals teams were able to just invite their families, a few of their family members, into the bubble. Teams before them, I don't think they could do that until you made it to the conference finals, really. So, I mean, just the struggle of not being able to see your family for a long time. I mean, you've got people, you've got these places playing without fans in the stands, of course. We've got racial injustice and social justice that we're fighting for as well during this time. This is, These are going to be some of the most impressive championships ever won, in my opinion. So congratulations going out to the Tampa Bay Lightning for being the first to do it here. And, of course, the redemption story complete after the season they had last year coming up short, coming up way short, um, being able to finish the deal and finish it this season with a championship in the Stanley Cup nonetheless. So congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning it all this year. All right, and then my final, final thought today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast, the College Football Committee is sticking with a four-team playoff this season. It was brought up and suggested by, I believe it was the Pac-12 commissioner that said, what if we thought about extending it to an eight-team playoff just for this season to, to test it out? Would be a good season to do it. We have some teams that might play 10 games, some teams that might play eight games. The Pac-12 might only play seven games. So this would be the season to kind of extend it so then you don't have to have those conversations of, well, this SEC team went 8-2, and two, but on the other hand, this Pac-12 team went 7-0 and oh, or 6-1. and one. You know, you wouldn't have to have those as difficult of, of decisions to make when trying to narrow it down to just four teams. But the College Football Committee is sticking with a four-team playoff this year. They decided not to go to eight. In, in my opinion, I thought at least this would be the year to try an eight-team playoff. I mean, now, as, as a Wisconsin fan, this could come off as a little biased. As, as I always, I've wanted the eight-team playoff. Wisconsin was always ranked at the end of the season at like six or seven. So if there was an eight-team playoff, they would have been in. But, but in a non-biased, if I look at this from a non-biased viewpoint, this would be the year to try the eight-team playoff. One, you can spread out the games. They already go three weeks in between from when the first playoff game is played, or from, sorry, from when their last regular season game is played, whether it's their championship games. So like the SEC championship, there's a three-week period between the SEC championship game and the first playoff game. So if it was Alabama versus Oklahoma, they have three weeks to prepare for that game. I mean, they I think they could knock that down to two and start the, the first round of the playoffs a week earlier and then just go week by week like they would the regular season until you get to the national championship game. I don't know. And this would be the year to test out that eight-team playoff. I mean, the re- I, I can understand why they don't want it. The, the less games, the better for them this season. They're just trying to get through a season because the more games you play, the more possibility of exposing yourself to the coronavirus. I get that. 
but I don't know. By the time we would get to January, hopefully we would have had a successful college football season. Hopefully they would have all their protocols ironed out, no question marks on, on how they go about their daily routine or their weekly schedules and stuff like that. So, I mean, the, in the 18 playoff, that way you can eliminate if there's a Big Ten team, say Wisconsin goes, so eight games plus their their Big Ten championship game if they were to make it, say they lose to Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. Now you don't have to question a Wisconsin team like that versus, say, a, a, a one-loss SEC team that didn't make it to the – or a one-loss SEC team as well. I mean, you can you can kind of – then you can put them both into the – to the college football playoffs and you could do it you could make the excuse you have all the reason to you have all the excuses i could say or all the reasons to do it because you can say you know what we don't want to do this next year the reason we did it in 2020 was because of the global pandemic you have that in your back pocket you can use that to if you don't like it to go back to the 14 playoff but i understand the the four-team playoff format, and especially if you want to play as the least amount of games as possible, but with an uneven amount of games being played by each conference from the Pac-12, the Big 12, the SEC, and the Big 10, just made sense, in in my opinion, to why not give it a try on this eight-team playoff. I mean, this way you would get a Pac-12 team, at least one, no question, into the playoffs. You could do Notre Dame, and who knows what their schedule is going to look like this year since they had a couple of coronavirus positive tests and had to postpone a game i'm not sure if it got canceled outright but i know it got postponed so i mean you could throw notre dame in this as well if they're able to play it almost a full schedule you'll have your two sec teams and i know that they just they always want to put two sec teams into this four team playoff now they'll have the excuse to absolutely include two hell they might even throw in a third if they wanted to this way you can have two big 10 teams you can have your one big 12 team your one pack 12 team so yeah, here we go. Let's 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 do it off the top here. Three SEC teams, two Big Ten teams. You're up to five. You're one Big Twelve. You're at six. You're one Pac-12. You're at seven. Throw in Notre Dame because they love to throw in Notre Dame at the top of everything. There's your eight. Seems pretty good in my opinion. So, but they decided to stick with the the four this year. So we'll see how we when we come down to to that as well. Did I miss one? Three SEC, two Big Ten. Big 12. Oh, I missed the ACC. Whoops. <laughs> All right. So maybe maybe two SEC. So two SEC, two Big 10, ACC, Big 12. Yeah, you got to throw Clemson in there because, you know, Clemson will definitely be in there. <laughs> in, either way, eight playoff, an eight-team playoff seemed like it would have worked this season, in my opinion. But the college football committee sticking with a four-team playoff this year. That is my final, final thought on this week's episode of the podcast. All right. That is all I have for you this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll talk about week four in the NFL. We'll see what the updates are on that Tennessee Titans team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and how that game got rescheduled, hopefully got rescheduled, and we'll see where the Tennessee Titans are at that time. We'll also get to the NBA Finals, probably at game three, possibly at game four by the time we get back for our next episode, and the MLB playoffs. Who knows? We might be in the championship series by next week already. But seriously, we'll, we'll, we'll see where we're at with that as well. Also, next week, I want to talk about fantasy football as well. We'll be a quarter of the way through the season for most of these teams. So I think that'll be a good point to bring up some fantasy football, maybe some of the better players, some of the better picks. I'll talk about my 
I'm in four leagues, and that's just way too many. But we'll talk about that as well. I always love talking about that. So we'll do that on my next week's episode for sure. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe. Stay sane out there as well. And that is the final final.